Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Hey, Sean. How's, uh, how's you been? Doing pretty well. It's uh, American Thanksgiving as we record this. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, of whom you are a fan, were successful in their efforts to thwart the hometown Detroit Lions this afternoon. Did you get a chance to watch any of that game? I guess it depends what you mean in successful. If you mean that they won the game. Yes, they won the game, but uh, their starting left tackle left for injury. Their starting center was already out. Uh, the right tackle was out for a little bit. They were starting a sub at right guard. Uh, Von Miller left on a cart. Early reports are that it seems to be okay, but uh, still not ideal. So, yeah, you know, they're sort of the walking wounded. Uh, eight and three is pretty good, but... Uh, they just got to get everyone healthy by playoff time, and I think they'll be fine. And they have a month to do so. And uh, as the great Herm Edwards taught us way back when, Scott, you play to win the games. That's uh, that's why you play them. And two, uh, I should note when I uh, when I saw Von Miller leave on the cart, I wasn't too concerned immediately because I've been in Detroit this season when a player left on a cart simply because he had to poop. So, uh, you know, I figured it couldn't be too serious <laughs> given that sure. precedent uh, of, of events there. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you play to win. They won the game. But, Scott, let's talk about the big story in the world of curling. Somebody else who is winning a lot of games, specifically out of spite towards you, Madeleine DuPont and her team out of Denmark. As we record this, are going into the gold medal game of the 2022 European Championship. I wanted to record this today because if she loses the final, this will be a lot less fun. So, Scott, you, yes. oh, for years, have been dismissive of Team DuPont, yes. of their chances. Yeah. Uh, with Ryan last week in the preview, you were at the very best mildly complimentary of them as a team who probably would get to the world championship and no more. Yeah. Yeah. But they went through the round eight and one. And then one earlier today, they are going to get at worst, the silver medal. Please. I look forward to what you have to say to not only Madeline and DuPont, but the lovely Danish people. Well, it's simple, Sean, the, when we were recording that podcast, there was a bit of a miscommunication between Ryan and I and yourself and Jonathan, <laughs> where we only picked the podium. Uh, I I had a sheet here. Mm. I can't find it on my desk, but I had it written down that Denmark would be my fourth playoff team. Looking at this field, I thought that was like an easy call, right? <laughs> I mean, Scotland showed us that they were inexperienced and not great. But the, I mean, the story is what happened mm -hmm. to Anna Hasselberg, right? Uh, whatever. Uh, that's crazy. Sure. So Denmark being eight and one. Yes. I'm very surprised that they went eight and one. The field was not as good this year. I don't think at the, the women's euros as it has been in the past. 
Eight and one still is very impressive. Congratulations. That said, I would have had them at five and four, six and three, making the playoffs in that fourth seed. And then you never know in the semifinals, right? The Today they beat a Scottish team that wasn't great all week. Not that surprising that they can come through and, and beat them there. Uh, if they're playing against a team like Switzerland, which we'll see them play against Switzerland tomorrow, Switzerland is the heavy favorites. And I don't think that's even a question, right? That even though both teams were eight and one, even though Denmark beat them in the round robin, they're still a, a huge favorite, right? Yeah, uh, I would say they probably are. And I'll just correct you. Switzerland was six and three. It was the six men, Swiss men who went uh, eight and one. So, Switzerland's coming out of the three spot. They were tied with Italy. Stefania Constantina beat uh, Switzerland during the round robin. So uh, they got the last rock in that, that first end. But it, it's interesting to hear you uh, backtrack. I'm surprised there's not a giant hole uh, in your wall behind you there. Uh, you backtrack on your lack of faith in Madeleine Dupont. Uh, I, I think it's it's interesting to look at the field. Uh, obviously, Jonathan and I only talked about the men's field on our side of it. And when I was looking at the field, I would have put probably Constantini maybe in the same category as Dupont. I would have thought Daniela Yench, after a really good showing last year, could have potentially taken that step forward. She missed the playoffs as well. So for me, Dupont was in that area that that grouping that I and I agree with what you just said of, of maybe being in line for the fourth playoff spot and what's interesting in the women's field is just how the wins kind of were not distributed particularly well uh, I mean it's well if you're trying to bell curve the wins yeah. it's a nice fat bell right in the middle where you have the two teams at the bottom Hungary and Latvia combining for one win Obviously, you have to have one win between those two teams because they played each other. It went to Hungary and then Denmark going eight and one and everybody else within two games of each other of uh, six and three or four and five. So it really was those middle seven teams that kind of split all the wins amongst each other, Mm -hmm. which led to this giant glob of teams all put together in the middle from Kristen Skazlian down in the eighth spot at four and five up to Stefania Constantini at six and three, kind of a really interesting week. And, you know, we've talked that draw shot challenge as a tiebreaker has been with the WCF events for a while now. Uh, and this is an event where when you look at it, this is sort of the, the reason why you have it. Cause this would have been tiebreaker hell for that four spot mm-hmm. with four teams at five and four. So a really interesting week on the women's side. I think I got to say more interesting, I think on the women's side than on the men's side. Yeah. The, and the thing is like, I thought that the men's field was a deeper field than this particular women's field uh, was going to be mostly, I, I think the difference really is Anna Hasselberg. Like, their team not playing well, especially at the beginning of the week, stumbling and sort of came on late. But if that team plays the way that they can, then yeah, I don't, I think there is a big divide between those top four of, of Sweden, Switzerland, Italy, and Denmark, not in that order, but uh, 
those four and then a drop off to to scotland and germany so i think i think the reason the standings are so bunched is because of how sweden played uh, and dropped those games early rather than a reflection of uh, sort of a deep deep uh, field if that makes sense does that make sense Oh, yeah, a little bit. But I, I think, too, at the same time, if you look at, say, Turkey, right, that's a team that you might have identified as a team that going into it, a lot of people would expect two, three wins out of them. They come out with five, so that takes a couple wins away that yeah. you might have forecasted to other spots. And them going five and four is, is uh, incredible uh, for them. Uh, a big step forward. Uh, they'll be in the World Championship, so that'll be cool to see Turkey in both men's and women's. Uh, going to the world championship. So mm-hmm. it's got New Zealand and Turkey will be represented in the world championship, both men's and women's uh, real huge congratulations to them and uh, growth of the game uh, big time uh, when you look at those countries. So now there are a couple countries who are stalwarts who are not competing. So, you know, take that into account for whatever that's worth, but Turkey, New Zealand men's and women's uh, really cool there. Uh, But yeah, so, so when you look at that women's field, yeah, having uh, yieldies there uh, competing at maybe a higher level than potentially we expected just balances things out a little bit and nobody within that central, that middle group was able to emerge. And that's what happens when you have one of the top teams struggle, everyone else is kind of equal. You're going to get a a glut in the middle. And no doubt. I think that's, it's pretty, surprising that uh that both of those teams are there uh sorry i'm trying to look at the world curling website is bad <laughs> do you, uh, do you not worse, agree the like world curling website or the grand slam of curling website the the grand slam of curling website is worse much much worse but uh anyway the i'm looking at the turkey like they beat Denmark, surprising, right? They beat Germany, not that surprising, maybe a bit. They beat Hungary. I mentioned on the the preview that Hungary had beat them earlier in the year, but still not that surprising. They beat Latvia and they beat Norway. So they beat everybody who, in theory, they should beat. And then lost to Italy, Scotland, Sweden, Switzerland. So, I, I mean, impressive for sure it's for sure impressive they went out and they took care of business against who they should have the only loss for denmark was was turkey so great job by by their team i'm happy to see them at the world championships and and i think given the skill on the on the team at the skip position this is something that they should expect going forward right they shouldn't be surprised to be staying in the a bracket and or going to to worlds yeah i completely agree with uh with that and it's it's interesting too to think if you you were forecasting moving forward where you know if turkey's going to be in there as a threat to advance to world championships in the event that russia comes back that really crowds this field and there's going to be teams that expect to make it to the worlds that you would think in the past yeah it was shooing for the worlds they're going to end up being relegated. And if, when you look at the Pan Continental Championship, if and when China comes back, same thing could happen there, where countries who you expect to come in 
almost automatically, that's not going to be the case. So as these fields continue to deepen, these events become a lot more interesting and more fun to watch. Uh, over on the men's side, we do have one finalist, Scotland, Bruce Mowat. They are in. They beat Italy. Did not watch this game, but according to the Professor of Peel, a pretty big missed line call by Amos Mosaner late in the game opened up the opportunity for Bruce Mowat to crack a four on his triple. Uh, saw that shot, the highlight of that shot. Did not see the miss earlier, uh, but uh, apparently Mosaner really uh, had a bad line call there, opened up the floodgates. Uh, the other semifinal will see Yannick Schwaller and Switzerland take on a Nick Adinless Sweden team led by Oscar Eriksson at six and three. Interestingly, at the top of the table, Switzerland, Scotland, Italy all went eight and one, one and one against each other. Obviously, Switzerland gets the first place slot by having the best draw shot challenge. I'm not convinced that being first uh, was the best option there. Maybe they should have got to pick their opponent. Not that anyone's easy, but uh, Oscar Eriksson and that team, you know, the three-time defending world champion. Sure, you're missing the skip, but mm-hmm. they're still pretty good. Uh, so we'll have to see how that uh, how that final uh, looks. Uh, but that should be a real fun game tomorrow. Yeah, that should be real fun. Uh, today's game, a rematch of last year's final, right, at the Euros, Scotland, Italy. Uh, and Sean, I'll point out the draw shot mm-hmm. challenge was decided by 2.67 centimeters difference between first and third. <laughs> so those three teams were really the class of the field this week. I kept thinking Sweden will be able to get there. Uh, they played poorly at the start, similar to Anna Hasselberg, and were able to get over the hump, get to that six and three. They actually had clinched the spot going into their last round robin matchup. So maybe eased the pressure a little bit, uh, but uh, they're, just, they're super dangerous. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they beat them. Uh, Switzerland and Yannick Schwaller had a, have had a great week, much better than I expected <clears throat> going into it. I don't know about you, but uh, I, like, I didn't pick them to make the podium. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'm, I'm hoping... The, the other three I did, so hoping for that. But uh, absolutely great week put together by Team Schwaller setting up the next four years of Swiss curling. Very interesting. Yeah, I had them in the playoffs. I had Nicodine, uh, the Nicodine-less side to win um, the the whole thing. So hopefully, I think I haven't taken too close a look and we'll certainly do a full recap next week. But I have a feeling we could use the extra point if Sweden wins. I feel like that would come in handy for us uh, in the bad beer bet. Uh, with uh, mm-hmm. Ryan and Jonathan. So I, I guess for that purpose, I'd be rooting for them. But yeah, really good job by Yannick Schwaller. And uh, maybe he'll make me eat a little bit of crow uh, based on what I said on the preview. Uh, but we'll have to uh, have to see uh, how the rest of the week looks. I mean, that Mowat team looks very strong, as they usually do uh, at these big events. So uh, that is the state of the European Championship as we sit here. We'll, again, we'll do a bigger recap of it, particularly uh, with the B-side and how it lines up with our bad beer bet next week. But I did want to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about rankings. There was a a bit of a story this week uh, that TSN Curling noted that Matt Dunstone, after his win last weekend, 
became the number one ranked team in CTRS points for this season. So if you go to Curling Canada and you look at the CTRS points, it is cumulative. So uh, on their rankings, Brad Gushu is still number one. But for the season rankings, for just the season rankings, which frankly are all that really matter because last year's points were not accumulated with these particular lineups. Uh, So if you look, this year, Matt Dunstone is first. Uh, Rachel Homan is first on the women's side as well. But I wanted, I was just curious. So I looked at the Ken Palm rankings and I only did this for Canada because it was CTRS points. So I I did this only for Canada. So Ken Palm on the men's side has Gushu first, Dunstone second, Kui third, Botcher fourth. The CTRS points have Dunstone one, Gushu two, Kui three, Botcher four. Uh, Over on the women's side, Ken Palm has uh, Anerson, Homan, Laws, Scheidegger. The CTRS points have Homan, Anerson, Jones, Laws. And then if you look at the entirety of the rankings, there are only two teams that uh, on both the men's and women's that appear on Ken Palm that don't appear on CTRS and vice versa. And then I was curious too. So I went because Twine Time does weekly power rankings. So I was like, all right, what does Twine Time have to say about this? His top four on mm-hmm. of Canadian teams, because he ranks everyone, uh, of the Canadian teams, his top four on the men's side are the same as Ken Palm and CTRS. And on the women's side, they're the same as Ken Palm. So I, I've just, there's been so much, I don't know, hand-wringing about rankings. Uh, there's been so much discussion about how do you calculate the rankings? What is the best way for us to figure out who the best team is? And, and I think I've come to the conclusion, particularly after seeing what's gone on at the Euros this week, just line everybody up and play them. Uh, all of the discussion about uh, multipliers, strength of field multipliers, all this, I feel like it's too much discussion when you, we have three different forms of calculation here that are ultimately concluding these are the best teams. Like, what, where, where does the eye test come in or where does the fact that these teams win more than the other teams ultimately determine things? And I know that the rankings matter in terms of invites to events and that kind of stuff. But Scott, I was thinking, again, especially after seeing some of the results this week, are we spending as a sport too much time messing around with the rankings? World Curling just changed the ranking system again. Uh, And too concerned over the rankings when Mm -hmm. ultimately these various methods seem to be concluding the same thing. Maybe I, I'm I'm math inclined, so I would lean towards uh, Ken Palm's rankings, which are at uh, DoubleTakeout.com. Those they work like uh, chess Elo rankings, or the 538.com does uh, those kinds of rankings too. So I think that that's where I would lean. Just like take take the strength of field stuff out of it and and the way that it they might have strength of field but the way that it works is like based on this team's rating how often would it beat a team rated higher or lower than it 
And so it gives like actual percentages. So I clicked on, let's say I click on Jennifer Jones, who, like you say, is sixth in Ken Palm rankings. So in a game against Carrie Anderson, who's at the top, based on these two, she would have a 28% chance of winning. A game against Andrea Kelly, who's just above her, 49.3% chance of winning. And that kind of feels right, Mm -hmm. don't you think? Like, you'd think Carrie Anderson would win 7 out of 10 against Jones? Yeah, I, I, I... So here's where I get a little annoyed or frustrated with that because this happens in all sports where we're talking about like win percentage, right? Like Carrie Anderson over the past four years has been better than Jennifer Jones. Like, I, I do I really need that percentage to tell me that? Uh, and one, because one, that percentage, like they would have to line up a hundred times and Jennifer Jones would have to win 28 times for that to be like, there's no way to prove that percentage right or wrong. It just is leaning towards Carrie Anderson, and that's because they've been a better team. It's like when people tell me that, you know, it's the bottom of the eighth inning, the home team is winning by four, and that gives them a 98.7% chance. Like, that doesn't help me. I know you're going to win way more often than not. Like, leading is better than not leading. Like, I don't find the percentages particularly informative uh, or providing any further context than just understanding what the situation is. Well, yeah, but that's percentages during the game. I'm talking about like going into a game. If you can measure, okay, what's the percent chance that this other, this one team beats the other that lets you sort of gauge how big of a gap there might be between the two teams. So when you're making picks like we are right, you you might look at other things, but take that into account, right? That there's like a skill, not a skill level difference. There's a, there's like an actually based on data winning difference between these teams. So like, yes, you don't need to know that, you know, that Carrie Anderson's team has been better than Jennifer Jones because that's obvious, right? For sure. But I think, I do think we need to have rankings in order to, like you say, invite teams to tournaments because we can't have, like Elo comes from chess mm-hmm. and we can't have a chess tournament where there's, you know, where there could be like 200 people in the room playing chess because we just can't do that with curling. It's uh, the logistics don't work. So you have to break them into groups somehow. And uh, using these kind of rankings to decide who's invited to certain events, I think makes a lot of sense. But again, I, I like, I like the formulation of Ken Pomeroy rather than the the World Curling Federation ones, which you're right, does it's tricky because the more that you play is the more that you accumulate those WCF points and stuff, whereas the Ken Palm rankings are more based on how you perform when you do play rather than how much you play. Yeah, which is kind of nice. The I, I do like the idea of having a performance-based way to do it as opposed to purely volume of play and accumulating points. I mean, that's how people who I know get very high status on airlines, for instance. It's not the quality of flying. It's purely the quantity uh, of flying, if you will. Uh, And and that's why when you look at the Ken Palm rankings, Andrea Kelly is the fifth-ranked Canadian team. She's not on the top 10 of CTRS. Uh, Kristen McCarville is nine on Ken Palm of the Canadian teams 
not ranked in the top 10 on CTRS. So you do get that. And yeah, I, I understand the need of invites and how do we generate the invites for certain events. But I, I think what's curious about it is a lot of the noise of it comes from the top teams. And the top teams, frankly, are largely unaffected by it. Uh, they're going to get their invites. Really, who it affects is the 10 mm. to 20 teams, right? That's where the the invite cutoff usually is in that 10 to 20 range. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I, I think trying to figure out what it would be for them could be, I guess, useful. But I, it just feels like more time is spent and more energy is spent trying to figure out the rankings then perhaps is worth it is is all I would suggest when again we we can to a certain extent line people up play each other play to win that's all yeah well I know that uh you know we don't have a committee like college football right yeah. getting together every week to decide okay who's the number one team in in the country this week like we don't we don't have that we don't need it I think that the computers are fine <laughs> right and yeah. yeah, if you want to be higher in the rankings, play better, I guess. Yeah. And and the other thing too that I think goes along with it, and I, I we're not gonna get into this now, but it also leads back to my feeling that Scotty's and Briar entries should be won. And you know, however you want to divvy up how you win, whether it's geographic or whatever, because uh, right now it's geographic, uh, win your way in. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I feel somewhat strongly about that. Uh, and that way you get you avoid some of these issues about how do we rank the teams? Because if you just line up and play and you win. No arguments. Well, why don't they just take the top three teams at the beginning before the provincial qualifications and say they've won enough this year that they get in as the three wildcard teams rather than take them at the end? I like that the provincial associations would go for that. They want the top teams at their events. But I like that. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, right, if, but if the provinces would agree, like if... You're at, you're high in the rankings because you've won a lot. Yeah, like if Manitoba and Alberta are cool with losing their top three teams at their, at their provincial championships uh, and they could still yeah. get people into the building, uh, then yeah, I would be totally in uh, for that. I think that would be a better way to go. And then there's no backdoor entry. Uh, if you lose the provincials, you're out. So I'm in at that. I like that idea. Good, good change, Scott. So we've accomplished something today. All right. Look at us. All right. So with that, we will say goodbye for this week and say thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you have not yet, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Do the likes, rating, comments, all that good stuff. Helps other people find the show, keeps us growing. Of course, you can visit us over at GameOfStonesPod.com. All of the past episodes are there, plus a link to the merch. Uh, all proceeds to the Sandra Schmirler Foundation, Food Banks Canada. We, of course, match all those. And if you want to follow along, everything we got going on at Game of Stones Pod on Twitter and Instagram, Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook. And you can always reach out, Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. Scott, it's been a big week for us. Uh, on a personal note, I launched a new podcast. Mm -hmm. The History Slam is no more. It's now what's old is news. We finally got everything up and running. So if you're interested in history discussions and how the past influences us today and what we can learn from past uh, policy decisions and other social, cultural events, uh, you can subscribe to that. But on a bigger scale, Scott, you became a man this weekend. Congratulations. I'm a man. I'm 40. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, eh? Uh 
it's pretty crazy. Uh, we celebrated in style, though. We went uh, down to New York City this weekend, uh, saw some shows, ate some food, uh, drank some drinks, and had a good time overall. So it was a great way to celebrate. Thanks, Sean, for uh, participating in that. And uh, from here all out, on out, it's uh, it's all gravy, right? Ten years till seniors eligibility. Boom. That's right. So uh, you know, start making your plans now for the twenty thirty two or twenty thirty three senior championship. Uh, that'll be the first one you're eligible for, Scott. So yeah, that's uh, right. Start forming your teams now, everybody. Uh, Scott's coming. So uh, there you go. Uh, happy birthday, Scott. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our American friends. I hope you're celebrating safely and happily down there. And to everybody else, thanks so much for joining. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back with you again next week. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.